just like to take a minute and to introduce our speaker this morning. So, Vince Crosby is a friend of mine, and we go back to 1984. I think it was a novel written by George Orwell, but it had nothing to do with that. But we go back to 1984, and Rich was in my youth group at Brunswick Street Church back in 1984. I mean, that's how far back we go. And we are really thrilled this morning. We have Rich, Natalia, Zara, Evelyn, and Joshua with us. I think it's Joshua, then Evelyn, in that, in that age order. Um, lovely to have them with us this morning. Natalia is with us. Welcome, Natalia. Thank you for being here with your children. Rich wants to come on up. Rich leads the church in Ottawa, part of New Frontiers family, and we are thrilled to have him here this morning. I just want to pray for him as we get started. I'm going to turn my mic off. It's that way. Lord Jesus, we thank you for Rich. We thank you for what he's brought us to you, for the blessing of this body of Christ. And we just give you so much honor and worship this week.
just really quickly want to say some things that we do with the kids in the church, because um, you guys have been praying for all the kids in the church. where we do our kids ministries is a little bit like running a men's ministry on the beach. <laughs> it's, it's, it just doesn't work that well, okay? The kids are looking around a lot. So we're hoping that God's going to give us some flexibility with our venue and uh, we're trusting him for that over the years. So family, thank you. Thank you. All right. Mariana?
and more servant leaders who who would say, I would go. And uh, God, we we look forward to hearing about your lavish, your your, your hilarious, as we say, free, your, 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 your lavish, hilarious gift, not holding anything back and blessing your poor life. God, we ask this for the glory of Jesus in our land of Canada. We ask this for the glory of Jesus across the nation. Exodus 17, if you have a Bible, Exodus chapter 17, uh, you're in a uh, 40 days of, of prayer as a church, well done, uh, please know in no way, shape, or form uh, have I uh, wanted to come in here and to kind of uh, teach you how to do church, if anything, there's, I, I know there are things that we are already learning here, being with you this morning, learning as uh, I have the privilege of spending time around the elders and others who serve in the church. That we then take back to the church in Ottawa and and just uh, bless them with. So again, I just want to say, well done in taking this season of prayer, taking prayer seriously. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning from Exodus chapter 17. We're doing a longer series in Exodus in Ottawa uh, right now. Let me give you like this is going to be rapid fire recap. Okay. Uh, so the story of Exodus in Scripture, many of you will be familiar with it, but perhaps some not. God's people at this stage of this true story that is found in this book are found in slavery in Egypt. And they are worked hard by, and the word that should be used is considered taskmasters. Okay? They, they are being worked incredibly hard. They're in slavery. But God does not forget his promise over Abraham and through Abraham over his people. And God sets a plan into motion for his people to be free. And then we see this incredible conflict that happens really between God and Pharaoh, who's, who's the God of the age. Uh, Pharaoh, in, in, in this story, he, he uh, represents something of the enemy, of, of the devil. And this conflict that happens, God saying, Moses, go and say, we're going to let my people go. And, and Pharaoh says, no, who, who is this God? Who are you talking about? He says, and within this story, we see we see a story that still continues today, even within our culture. And as that story unfolds, God shows time and time again that He is more powerful, that He is more wise, that that the other God or other gods are no match for Him. And He shows that in the most dramatic way people the place. And God's people then, eventually after the Passover, they're they're, they're free. Egyptians are go get out of here. They're, they're like throwing stuff at them. And he says, just take, take it, go, get, get, be on your way. And off they go, but they've got a very short memory, don't they? So Pharaoh chases after them, and you see the Red Sea and the Red Sea parting, and then you see them God's people going across and led by God on this incredible journey. We then come to a chapter that is before chapter 17, where God's people really led out of this brutal slavery. They're, 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 they're shown God's power uh, through the plagues. They're shown God's power and God's faithfulness through the parting of the Red Sea. And how do they respond to it? They're hungry. They're hungry. We're thirsty. Moses, why did you let us come out here to die? They say. They start accusing Moses, and through that, they start accusing God of things that are simply ungodly. Which that's a very different definition of blasphemy, by the way. They start imposing onto God things that are not his. 
things, things that are not true to who he is and his character. How does God respond to that in the chapter before what we're looking at here this morning? What's God going to do? He's freed these people, he's brought them up, and they respond to him by complaining. We read some amazing words. I think it's in chapter 16. God says, I will rain down. And they're all bracing for it. They say, here it comes, the judgment of God. It's going to rain down from heaven, bring it. You know that line in uh, Bruce Almighty, smite them, O mighty smoker of heaven. You think that's what's going to come? Right? God says, I will rain down. And he says, yes, yes, yes. And, and, and this is an exact indeed, where God responds to the complaint of the people and brings them to Right now, we're going to pick the story up, chapter 17. I'm going to read starting at verse 8 at the end of the chapter that we're reading this morning. It says this, Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. The third time this is being released from slavery that they have had people find themselves at war. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. Then Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. Moses became very weary, so they put a stone, they put it under him, and sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hand, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hand was steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a God who speaks. You speak to your people. Thank you already through our time together this morning that you have been speaking to your people here through prophetic gifts, through tongues and interpretation. God, thank you for these gifts that you have given. And God, thank you that you continue to speak today. God, I pray uh, by your Holy Spirit that you would help me as we go through this text, as, as, as we uh, look to see Jesus in this true story. Jesus, after the, uh, after the resurrection, he came, he met with your disciples, he sat down and he showed them how, how all of it, all the books of Moses, how all of it is about you. And it all points to you. And Jesus, that, I have no interest in being a history teacher up here. I have no interest in being a lecturer. Holy Spirit, guide my words that we would see Jesus this morning, I pray, for his glory. Amen. Amen. I want to read to you a, a story. Uh, from a man named Terry Virgo, who will be familiar to many of you, a man who has been uh, so instrumental in the establishing of uh, churches all around the world that, that, that we're in uh, church family with, you and I. So this is in a book that he's written about Moses. Uh, the book's called God's Treasured Possession. But he tells, he tells this really cool story. He says, My home church in Brighton had outgrown its premises. We needed a lar larger location, 
and discovered an ideal redundant warehouse in the center of town. An informal inquiry to the town council led us to believe that an approach would be favorably would be received favorably. As a church, we raised a large offering and submitted our offer. To our amazement, it was categorically and dismissively rejected by the council. We had been misled. They were not likely to allow good industrial property of the center of town to become a church building. We asked if we could appeal against their decision, but were told it would be a waste of time since the council's decision was a 100% refusal judgment. We were told that had it been more balanced, such as 60-40, it might be worth appealing, but one of 70-30 or 80-20 would fall on deaf ears. A 100% decision certainly was not worth contesting. Nevertheless, we sent our Joshua into the valley. Yes, we prepared the best possible argued appeal and sent it in. And then we fought in prayer. Our hands were raised to God fervently, appealing to a higher authority, bringing to Him His great promises to those who pray and believe. Repeated prayer meetings filled the weeks as we waited for the response. When it came, the 100% refusal was thoroughly overturned. We won our battle. We not only gained our warehouse, we experienced the God who can win battles and overturn apparently impossible situations. The Exodus story is not recorded in Scripture just so that we know Jewish history. This story is in here because this is our story. We're supposed to see ourselves in this. Remember what I was saying about a people in slavery, set free by God, being led through signs and wonders, but still in their stubbornness and in their rebellion, still complaining against God accusing God of things that God hadn't done or, or wouldn't do. You brought us out here to die. I mean, it's, it's, it's wild. They start saying things like, it, it would be better that we were back in Egypt where we ate all the bread we wanted. We ate everything that we wanted. We had, we had what, we, what we enjoyed back then. Psychologists would call this cognitive bias. Remembering things in the past, not at all in a way that is true to reality. Do you see yourself in that story? I know I should see myself in that story. This is what we so often do. We're supposed to see ourselves in this story, but not as the ultimate characters. That's not us. We're supposed to see Jesus as the ultimate character in this true story, even the story of the Exodus. But what does that have to do with Exodus chapter 17? And the people of God finding themselves at war. Well, the way we see ourselves in this is that the Christian life, a life with God, does contain battles. I highly doubt that what I have just said is news or shocking to any of you. If you have been in a relationship with Jesus Christ, and, and I know that will be most in this room, but perhaps not all, but if you've been in a relationship with Jesus for any length of time, you likely know that battles will come. And what we see happening here in this story is the battle finds the people of God. We as Christians, even as Canadian Christians, sometimes we seem to be set on going out and picking fights. We don't need to do that. We don't need to do that because the battle will always find the Christian. You don't need to worry about going out to try to pick the fight. It will pick you. That is the story of faith. That is the story of what happens here in Exodus. And that's the story of the people of God. They go, they find themselves being attacked 
here in Exodus chapter 17 about the Amalekites. Now, the Amalekites, they're descendants of Esau. This goes way back even further uh, in Scripture, and, and, and Genesis is only the second book of Scripture. But we see something of a conflict here, really, between good and evil. That's what's happening. And we find ourselves still within that conflict, even still today. I mean, uh, I won't be the only one who's been on CBC News online or whatever website you use and, and seeing about this conflict that just, I think it was just yesterday morning, erupted in an even increased way in the Middle East. I don't make that comment to be political in any way. That's not the point. The point is war still rages around the world, even in different ways here within our own nation. Thank you, Jesus, that we don't experience it the same way that we see on the news. But that, that, but that doesn't mean that there aren't intense conflicts that happen. We know that personally, don't we? We we know that to be true. But the war that is the most costly for us is the war that happens in our heart. That's that's the one that can have the worst impact on us. As horrible as these other conflicts are, that's the conflict that overwhelmingly this book draws attention to. The war that happens in the human heart. And that's the story of what's being told here in Exodus chapter 17. God's people find themselves at war. They find themselves in in battle. We, as followers of Jesus, we find ourselves in the same thing. I hope that none of you ever experience it as people literally chasing after you in that sense. That's what happens here. It's thought that the Amalekites attacked the Israelites from the rear. That means that as they were moving through on their journey, it was most likely the most feeble uh, quite likely the lame, the slowest among the people of God who would have been attacked first. It's a horrible scene. It's a horrible scene. But we want a picture of the church even within that, right? It's like, no, we don't, we don't want to leave anyone left behind. When attacks come, we want to, come, come on, come, come and be close. Don't be lingering kind of in the back. Those of you that sometimes bounce around a bit or are struggling to commit, you need to know the, the risks that are associated with that. It's a lot easier to get picked off. God doesn't want you to be picked off. To be right in the center, to be right where the protection is, and, and to be around the people of God. That's a good and healthy place to be. So here in Exodus chapter 17, God's people, they're, they're, they're being attacked. And we then are left with the question, how should we respond to this? What, what is the response to conflict, to, to battles, even to spiritual battles, within the Christian life. Well, that's the story that is being told here, and it might fascinate you to know that it has everything to do with the 40 days that you find yourselves in right now. It has everything to do with prayer. You may be thinking, where, where, where do you see prayer in this story? Well, it's subtle, but I'll tell you it's there. It's subtle, but it is there. Moses says... Choose for us men to go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Now I've brought a staff with me. This is something that preachers like to do sometimes. This, this is a, uh, a genuine uh, Hebrew walking staff. This is actually sticks in candy legs, but I took that the other, the other day. Uh, but here it is, okay? You can imagine the scene, right? Moses Moses has already been in the wilderness for 40 years before, you know, this is all happening, right? He's out, he's, he's a shepherd. He's got a staff. Right? He goes around, he helps them with their walking, and he's 
the seat because I give him a bit of a jab or use the hook at the end. Hey, don't walk off that cliff. You can, you can see the picture at play here, right? So Moses says this, says, says to Joshua, choose for his men to go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Now that, that's interesting language, the staff of God. This is the first time that Moses, as he's speaking, refers to his staff as the staff of God. Now, in Exodus chapter 4, it's referred to as the staff of God, but Moses isn't speaking then. Moses has been on something of a journey with this staff, to say the least, because when God calls him to go and to speak to Pharaoh and, and, and to be used by God immensely to free God's people, part of it is with this, isn't it? It's with the staff. He says, go and, and take your staff and throw it down, and it will turn into what? A snake, right? I was hoping you'd jump. I thought you would jump back. Oh, sorry. I'll go get it. I'll go get it. So it's not working properly, clearly, okay? So the staff, it gets thrown down and it gets t- turned into a stake, right? They go to the Red Sea. What happens with the staff? Right? The sea opens up, okay? The chapter before this, water from the rock. Moses takes the staff, strikes the rock. Water comes out from the rock. So Moses knows that this is no... <laughs> ordinary staff, and he speaks of it as the staff of God. There's something fascinating about the staff that Moses has started to figure out. He knows that there's something about this where where God identifies with the staff as some sort of expression of his covenant promises over his people. That's what's happening with the staff. Moses has worked out that there's something about it where, where, where God identifies with him everything that he said, everything that he has promised, all that he will lead his people into. Now, I'll admit, as a preacher, it can be very tempting to preach through Exodus chapter 17 and this story about Moses, uh, you know, his arms getting tired, and uh, Aaron and Hur, who's thought to be uh, Moses' uh, brother-in-law, Hur, steadying his arms so that as long as his arms are held up, Joshua and the army is prevailing, when his arms start to feel tired, they start losing, so they, they, they prop his arms up. It can be very tempting to preach through that and, and, and to preach it as, you know, this is, this is a picture of what we need to do in the church. We need to hold each other's arms up, and, and, and maybe the rock is Jesus that he sits down on. Look, I'm, I'm not saying there isn't value to that. There, there are things that we can look at in this, and ways that we can see Jesus and have lessons for us as a body. Wonderful things. But that's not what's actually happening here in the text. Okay? I'm not not calling anyone out if if they do that. There are other lessons that can be applied, but that's not what's happening in the text. What is happening here in the text is when Moses has that staff and it is lifted before God, that's what's happening. Because whose staff is it? It's the staff of God. See, we read the story and we think it's, oh, well, it's Israel's staff. Or it's Moses' staff. Nope. Nope. It's the staff of God. It's being lifted above Moses. Not as a reminder to Moses, not as a reminder to the people of God, as a reminder to God himself. God, you said you would free your people. You said that we would go to a land flowing with milk and honey. You said that we would not die out here. You said that you were for us. Don't forget what you said. Don't forget what you said. This is what Moses lifting that staff above him is saying. What a picture of prayer. 
What a picture of prayer. Terry Virgo, in that same book that I was reading from a few minutes ago, he says this, which I found so helpful. He says, We in today's church must learn the crucial place of prevailing prayer in our conflict. We must learn to hold God up, hold up to God, rather. We must learn to hold up to God the promises He has made. Prayer is not trying to impose our plans on God by becoming acquainted with His covenant promises, believing them, going into battle because of them, and then wholeheartedly reminding God of His commitment and our expectation that He will accomplish what only He can. Amen? Amen. Christ Central, one of the reasons why it's a privilege for our family to be visiting you today is because I know enough about the men and their wives who are leading you and who are serving you to know that their hearts beat for this. They, they're not gathering together going, what is it that we think would just be interested, interesting or cool or trendy that we can do as a church? They're going, what is it that God has said to us? What has God said to us? And what does obedience look like for us to walk in line with that? I love morning that as I came in, I was able to hear again about uh, church planting initiatives that you're carrying as a church. As I was praying for you this morning, a phrase that came into my head that, that I believe for you is that this is a church that punches above its weight. Do you believe that? This is a church that punches above its weight. It's not popular for a guest preacher to come in and talk about weight, but I'm going to do it, okay? I'm going to do it. We're a church that punches above the weight. The, 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 the legacy already of this church in Atlantic Canada and beyond is rich. It is rich. And my encouragement to you as a church is to keep going. But keep going like this. Okay? Keep going like this. God, this is what you've spoken over us. God, you said. Man, when my kids come to me and there's something that they want to do, the deal breaker, the thing that gets it is when they go, but daddy, you said. And when I go, yeah, I did. What, what do you do? What do you do in that moment, right? I don't want to be a liar to my children. The Heavenly Father has no interest and will not be a liar to you. So we go before him and we hold this up. And those that are serving us in leadership, they, they lead the charge in that. Getting sick. Mark, I genuinely, I think this is for you guys. All right. Nova Scotia, all that God has spoken to over this church about in, in other places. This is wonderful stuff, okay? Hold it up before him. God, you said. You said. God's always had a thing for wood. It's interesting, isn't it? You know, in the Old Testament, there's this, there's this staff that is this reminder before God of, of God. This is your promise. This is the covenant that you have made over your people. And we see God being faithful in this battle. This, is, this, isn't, this isn't the only time that the Israelites were attacked by the Amalekites. First time. Some of you are feeling very weary because you know the weariness of battles in the Christian life. You know the weariness of waiting for God to show His faithfulness. I get it. I get it. He gets it. Keep holding before him what he has spoken over you. Keep holding before him what you know is true of him and of his faithfulness. And trust that he will be faithful. He will. He can't help himself. He will be faithful. 
Where do we see this in its fullness? The faithfulness of God shown to His people, to His children. Of course we see it in its fullness at the cross of Jesus Christ. Right? In Exodus chapter 17, it's a staff that is held up by Moses' arms as Moses' arms are supported. Where do we see this in its fullness? It's at the cross of Christ where Jesus is on that cross in our place, not with His hands held up by friends or family members, but with His arms held up by men. On what? On something that New Testament writers would refer to as as well as the tree. See the same picture again. And Paul, in Romans 8, I mean, this this beautiful Romans 8 is just, is just it's the most incredible telling of the gospel, of course. There's so much in it. But he draws attention to the cross as he's encouraging the church in Rome, as he's showing them and, and, and reminding them of God's faithfulness. It's the cross that sits at the center of it. So he says this, What then shall we say to these things? In verse 31 of chapter 8, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. We, we can't understand those words without the cross. It doesn't make sense without the cross. The Son of God being given up. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. And who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Before I close, it's so important that if you take anything away from what I've shared this morning, what you mustn't take away is, oh, I, I, think, I think I've been praying the totally wrong way. Genuinely, I don't believe there's a wrong way to pray. Uh, you know, again, those of you that have children, is, is, there, is there just being with your children and wanting them to be close to you? That's what you want, is, 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 is that relationship with them where there's that closeness. You know if there's a wrong way to pray. But what we do see here in Scripture is things being shown to us of ways that we pray where we get to remind our Heavenly Father of what He has promised us. And even if we don't pray like that, even if you think as you're in these 40 days of prayer, even if you think, what do I have to contribute? I've gone to Christ Central for a while. I've heard some other people pray. There are some real prayer warriors in this church. And there are. Praise Jesus. That's a gift to this church and to this city. There are. But maybe some of you are thinking, what, what do I possibly have to contribute to that? Well, the encouragement of Scripture here is this. Jesus is interceding on your behalf. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. He's still doing things for you. Just go before the Father through Him. Go before the Father through Him. He takes your place. He goes to the Father interceding for you and for me. What a wonderful encouragement. We don't have to go before Him thinking, oh, have I prayed the right way? Have I said it the right way? He doesn't seem to be answering me, so I must be praying wrong. There's my child, my son, my daughter. Excited for you as a church, I really am. I, I, uh, this, is, this is in our culture in uh, in, in Canada. 
And among church culture in Canada, there are, um, sadly, there are few places where there is a real desire for the Holy Spirit to be on the move in unexpected ways among the people of God. And, and that's tragic. I'll save that sermon for a different time, if I may. But it is. It's tragic. I'm not saying you're a perfect church. God knows that the church in Ottawa is not a perfect church. Both the shoulder people are saved by grace through faith. But I love that in this church, we're hungry for the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I love hearing about your gift set. And I've, no one's asked me to do this. I didn't know until uh, 45 minutes ago that you were doing a gift set at uh, Labor of the Night. church in Ottawa and say, I feel like you as a preacher, you just, I feel like you just want our money. I say, you know what? I, I do want your money and your house and your condo and your car and your sex life and your career. I want all of it for the glory of Jesus. All of it. So yeah, give everything that you have to him. Give everything to him. Because this is about freedom. This is about seeing people set free from the sin, set free from the bondage to an enemy, and set free through who? Through Passover lamb. I mean, Exodus is just amazing. Set free through the sacrifice of another. And for us, it's not that Passover lamb. Jesus is the Passover lamb. Lamb of God. Let's be able to sing the Lord. I believe that's what that is. So would you stand with me? We're going to invite the worship band to come back up. And uh, we're going to sing... In response to Jesus, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I, I, I wondered if there was a way that I could, you know, bring uh, 100 or 150 or however many, you know, staff <laughs> this morning. Just use your imagination with me for a moment. like for you of, 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 of taking that staff and holding it up before God? What, what is it that you would remind Him of? And I know that we know it's not reminding God because He's forgotten. God doesn't suffer in His memory like we often do at times. You could write something on that staff. Say, God, you said, and hold it up before Him. God, you said, what would it be? What would you write down? What are the two or three things that you would write down on that staff? Some of you, it's a prayer for a child. Others of you, it's a prayer for a child who is an adult now. For some, it's health. For some, it's regarding loneliness. I, I don't need to keep going. You, you know, you know what it is. You know what you would write on that. What God says to you this morning is look at the cross of Jesus as the ultimate proof, the ultimate reminder that God has no interest in withholding anything good from you. Now, I understand that, that what we want in timing and what God does in timing is very different. What we would define as good and what we need as good things can be very different than what God does at times. I, I, I know. I know. That's why it's called faith. I trust you. 
And if you don't, then maybe that's your prayer as you start to sing. God, help me to trust you with this. This thing that I'm holding up before you, help me to trust you with this because I'm finding it so hard. And the final thing I'll say to you is imagine that scene in Exodus chapter 17. It's, it's, it's Moses holding that staff holding it up to God, but it's within sight of so many within it. Don't, whatever you've written down on that staff in your heart right now and you're holding up before God, don't walk it alone. Don't hide it. Share with others in your life group. Share with others in your church. Share with other brothers and sisters. Hey, this, this is what I'm, I'm just taking before God, saying, God, you said, you said, and don't walk that in isolation. We're to walk that together, bearing with one another, serving one another, rejoicing with those who rejoice, mourning with those who mourn, as a family, as a family. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, we give you all the glory. Thank you for going to the cross in our place. And just as, as we worship together right now, before our time this morning, draw us to your close. Holy Spirit, show us more of Him. Show us more of Jesus.